0: Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me in Edinburgh, Scotland is...
1: Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery, how's it going Ian? Yes,
0: Matt, you've got me at a prime moment here. I'm halfway through a beer tasting, so oh. an online virtual beer tasting. But And I'll just say, Matt, you don't know this. Uh, last month, we got more listeners in America than we did in Australia.
1: Oh, Wow. That's fantastic.
0: Truly a global podcast. Welcome to all our uh, US friends who are clearly seeking out foreign things in lockdown. Well played. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get a wheel spinning. I'll get it away. The wheel is looking in great condition, Matt. I can see it through virtual uh, means. And well done for looking after it so well. But the topic for
1: this episode is... It's one of a kind, Ian. One of a kind. And I'm going to take this one, if that's all right with you. Um, Matt, mm- you keep doing this. You hardly give me a chance to
0: jump in. You're just <laughs> like... you—you. You, it's because you've got the wheel. You're like, oh, I've got the wheel, I'll spin it. And then I'll just... I get dibs on the topic and I'm not I'm not upset about that because I am halfway through a beer tasting yeah so
1: I can tell yeah (laughs) you take it away (laughs) I'm gonna take it away I mean it and look I've been wanting to tell this one for a while it's uh, it's the story of Bert Troutman a uh, a football player a soccer player a goalkeeper in the 50s who played for Manchester City and I want to focus specifically on this one incredible football match that he played in but to do that and, and talk about why that game was so important, I need to give you a bit of a background. And So Bert, or Bernd, uh as his name, like Bernard, uh, it sort of didn't go too well in, in England when he was over here, so he, we, we'll call him Berth, um, which is what he's known by now. But he was born in the interwar period in Germany, uh, just outside of Bremen in October 1923. So... Early in the Second World War, you know, he's a young man. He joined the Luftwaffe as a paratrooper. Uh, he fought on the Eastern Front. Uh, he was actually awarded five medals for the Germans, uh, including an Iron Cross. And then later in the war, he transferred to the Western Front, where he was captured by the British. And he spent the remainder of the Second World War as a, as a British prisoner of war. So he's sent to England, um, to Lancashire, uh, to the prisoner of war camp there. And he sees out the rest of the war as a prisoner uh, in England. When the war finishes, they look at him and they sort of, the English, uh, and they think, look, this guy's not really a a threat. They sort of uh, downgrade him. You know, he's not committed any war crimes or anything like that. So he's free to go. A few years later, I think it was 1948, they said, look, you're free to go. But he, he refuses to be repatriated. Um, he's He likes Lancashire. He's sort of, uh, he's he's enjoying it over there. Wow. That's, can we just roll
0: back there because he's a prisoner of war and he's like, no, no, what is life like in Germany? It's mad, like a, isn't it? I don't, mad to think. Bremen, Bremen can't be that bad. <laughs> but, it's, uh. but it's quite amazing. like He also kind of skipped over the fact that he'd won like, the Iron Cross and a very decorated soldier. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. Incredible. He he comes out of the, the, the prison, uh, or the prisoner of war camp, rather, and he starts working on a farm, and he, start, he starts playing as a goalkeeper for his local football team. So when he was growing up uh, in Germany, during those interwar years, he played a lot of football, some handball, some other sports as well, and, and he'd done quite well in them. And then it's actually during his time... Particularly on the eastern front, when there wasn't really much going on, I think he was sort of his uh, his platoon or, or whatever you'd call it was sort of a little bit further back from the from I guess the real fighting. So we had a lot of time with him and his his, his soldier colleagues to you know play games and, and sort of relax. So he played a lot of sport uh, growing up, and yeah, as I say, he's now settled in a town called St Helen's uh, in Lancashire, England, just working on a farm, and he starts playing. Uh, for the St Helens team um, and it's it's actually interesting whilst he was playing for St Helens he ended up meeting uh, the daughter of the club secretary a lady called Margaret Fryer who later in his life he actually goes on to marry so
0: really well to be honest with a name like Margaret Fryer you expect that she'd have a job in a chip shop and I'd marry someone <laughs> like that so <laughs>
1: so it's 1948 it's his first season playing for St Helens and 1948-1949 and his reputation as a goalkeeper is is just growing. I mean, Saint Helens are a they're not a big team, you know, they're not a professional unit. But he's doing so well that and his reputation's growing so so great that the fans are really turning up and there's these huge crowds coming to see amateur footballers playing. Um, including a record nine thousand attendance um, for the final of this local cup competition that he was playing in. You know, it's just Unbelievable the the level of interest shown in this outstanding goalkeeper uh, playing for an amateur amateur side. Can we just like say like for fans, people who aren't
0: f- that familiar with soccer, I mean, people will show up to games to see a Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Robbie Fowler, <laughs> but they'll they'll turn up to games because they're star strikers perhaps a midfielder, Steven Gerrard, someone like that. They're all Liverpool basically. <laughs> but people will show up to see someone, but
1: never a goalkeeper. Never the goalkeeper exactly. You yeah, kind the, of if, turn up to a game to see a goalkeeper. He must have been brilliant. Yeah, well that's it. When the goalkeeper's the star, that that generally means your team's in trouble, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely a, a revelation, but his outstanding uh, goalkeeping and performances you know, it didn't take long to to lead to interest from football league teams. Um, so, in 1949, just a year after he's been released as a prisoner of war, he signs for Manchester City. Now, at the time, Manchester City uh, in 1949 they were playing at the in the top tier of English football. So, back then, that was called the First Division. And, that's. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be today, and it's probably like signing for Manchester City today. Actually, you know, they're they're at the very top. Um, you know, uh, but si- signing from from where? Like, you know,
0: obviously Manchester City might on the off chance sign a promising youngster from League One or you know League Two. They're not going to sign somebody. <laughs> What's the jump?
1: What's the jump? Is it? Yeah, this well, is an amateur it, yeah. team, so. The pub team to, to, to top division. It, it's remarkable. So initially they took him on as an amateur, but it wasn't long before he signed a professional contract. And fun, fun fact for you, Ian. Bert was actually the first sportsman in Britain to wear Adidas, or Adidas, thanks wow. to his friendship with Adolf Dassler. So fans of the show, uh, you know, you can go back and listen to a, an episode which Ian focuses very heavily on the, uh, the influence of Adidas uh, particularly in the northwest of England. So it's called football casuals. Yeah, football casuals. Episode. Um so So are we saying Bert
0: Troutman was the original football casual? Well, yes,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> 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 Not only has he got a name that sounds like he's a fishmonger and his wife works in the chippy. This is the best bloke <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's bringing bringing Adidas to the
0: northwest. He's a trout man.
1: (laughs) He's married to a friar and he's got Adidas on. Amazing. Well, whilst he might have been popular uh, from a fashion point of view, unfortunately, Manchester City's decision to sign Burt wasn't universally popular. Um, Obviously, this is a guy who's fought against the Allies, the English, just a few years earlier. You know, he's just been released as a prisoner of war, you know, less than two years before he's now signed a professional contract and some season ticket holders and some fans of the club are you know really don't like this decision um some season ticket holders threaten a, a boycott of the matches various groups in Manchester and around the country actually around around England bombard Manchester city with protest letters and and threats and at so one demonstration over twenty thousand people came to protest that this german or former German paratrooper, was now playing for Manchester City. So, Bert's position as well, another reason maybe why he was so unpopular, was he'd been signed to replace a club legend, this guy called Frank Swift, who was Manchester City's previous goalkeeper. Frank Swift is sort of seen, even today, as maybe one of Manchester City's greatest ever goalkeepers, and he's recently retired. And now, they've brought in this guy, and, you know, for, for many reasons, but, Probably primarily the fact he's a former German paratrooper is making him pretty unpopular. However, there were those who who welcomed Bert, um, the club captain of Manchester City, a guy called Eric Westwood, uh, who was actually a Normandy veteran. He made a public display of really welcoming Bert into the club. And he announced there's no war in this dressing room, quite famously. Wow. There was, as I say, a lot of community groups around Manchester were against the signing, and there was a lot of interest, particularly in the Jewish community, whether the Jewish community groups would be sort of against this and what they might do. Um, But before his first home game, uh, the community rabbi of Manchester, a guy called Alexander Altman, he wrote this remarkable open letter to the Manchester Evening Chronicle, appealing to Manchester City fans in the Jewish community to treat Troutman with respect, which was really powerful at the time, you know. It's it's 1949. It's it's post-war feelings are and and relations, you know, it's sort of English-German relations, afraid, Jewish-German relations, afraid. Um, so to, for the for the Rabbi of Manchester to come out and sort of write this letter, really appealing to to respect, um, was was really powerful and, and really important. So. I love Matt. The way you've very modestly
0: described that German-Jewish relations were frayed. Well. <laughs> like I think, <laughs> I think it was. Uh, it, I mean, what makes it remarkable that letter that was written was I felt a little emotional about you telling me that just then. All of these years on, I can't imagine what how it would be when the emotions were so raw. Yeah, exactly. Straight yeah. after
1: the war. Well, that's it. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. You know, we, we all know um, what went on, and it's it's atrocious. But at the same time, I think I'd rather focus on the compassion and the forgiveness and the understanding shown by the rabbi and the positives, rather than sort of uh, yeah, absolutely try, trying to attribute any anything else uh, greater to it than than this one guy. Anyway, um, so Bert's Bert's now at the club. As I say, it's it's a it's a mixed reaction to to say the least. But he starts really well and his performances are so impressive that he actually silences a lot of his critics and the protests you know they 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 sort of lose the momentum he starts to become accepted for being a good goalkeeper which is i guess all he ever wanted to be right you know that's that's what he's there for that's his job and he's and he's doing a good job now that's not to say he was universally uh, welcomed he certainly wasn't in fact there was one game particularly which had a lot of media attention, which was uh, in January of 1950 when Manchester City travelled to Fulham, uh, which is in West London. And that was going to be Bert Troutman's first ever visit to London, to the capital, as a footballer. It got a lot of attention, as I say, obviously that's where most of the British press are based, but also the damage that the Luftwaffe had had done, you know, the city's still sort of reeling from that. You know, the, the damage of the city's still visible. And... Troutman was a real sort of target of hatred from the crowd. They were yelling things at him, like, you know, you're a crowd, you're a Nazi, to this guy who's who's just really there to try and, trying to keep goal. There's a real atmosphere in the, in the stadium of anti-Bert Troutman feeling, uh, based around his nationality. At the time, as well, it's worth mentioning, Manchester City were really struggling in the league. So they were expected to suffer a heavy defeat, but... Troutman has an amazing game. you A know, string of saves meant that the final score was actually only a narrow 1-0 loss or a 1-0 win for Fulham. The so City only lost by one goal, which nobody saw coming. And at the end of the game, Troutman actually received a standing ovation and was applauded off the pitch by both sets of players. You know, he'd done that well. He perf- they still lost, but he performed so oh, both well. Both sets of fans, was it? Uh, yeah, fans and players, yeah. yeah. so Wow. It's... Um, it just goes to show this guy was you know winning hearts and minds by his but just by his performances and his determination to just be a good goalkeeper he must have been a really
0: nice man yeah, like yeah. to take that level of abuse and vitriol and and still go to the belly of the beast and still show up shows remarkable resilience and yeah. uh, a, a, a emotional
1: intelligence which is probably beyond most of us. Yeah, well that's it. I mean the guy the guy certainly was determined and and as you say resilient. And and, and you you'll hear more about his determination when we get to the match that I'm I'm keen to talk about. As I say City was struggling uh, in in 1950. They obviously lost that game to Fulham, they lost more matches and they actually ended up being relegated despite Troutman's impressive performances. So they were sent down to the second division. Uh, in 1950 but they came straight back up into the first division after one season out of the league and throughout the 1950s after their uh, promotion following the the previous relegation they really start to develop into one of the stronger teams in the country they've got Bert Troutman and he's becoming and establishing himself as one of the best goalkeepers in the division but but probably in the world as well He's absolutely fantastic, and his, his reputation by 1952 has spread to this point where a German team, Schalke, uh, offered £1,000 to sign him, but Manchester City refused that out of hand, saying he'd be worth 20 times that much. You know, So he really is establishing himself as a, an important part of a, an emerging and developing team. Despite that, though, despite his uh, reputation... For being a top goalkeeper of the era, he never actually played for Germany, uh, which is which, a bit of a shame. Um, he did meet with the German national coach, Sepp Herberger, uh, in 1953, but he explained that because Troutman wasn't living in Germany and therefore wasn't always going to be available for the German fixtures... And obviously travel and political implications basically meant that he couldn't be considered unless he moved to, to go and play in Germany, uh, which Trautman didn't want to do. As I said, he's, he's married to an English uh, lady and he's just really enjoying himself over there, which, which again, unfortunately, meant that he missed out on the 1954 World Cup, which Germany won.
0: And, and this is still the era of West Germany. West Germany, yes, Germany, exactly. The Cold War. Yeah. So getting around Europe at this point is probably... A little bit more problematic. Exactly. Um, potentially for a, a former Luftwaffe
1: pilot. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. But, so, so unfortunately, he, he never actually plays for Germany. He did represent uh, the English Football League, which is uh, some, something I'll have to look into. And maybe we could look at on another podcast where the English Football League All-Stars played an Irish football team All-Stars and, and an Italian football team all-stars so (laughs) that sounds quite interesting but um but basically he never really gets the international acclaim but regardless this guy is seen as one of the best goalkeepers of of his era and in 1955 they reached the fa cup final which is particularly at that time one of the greatest and most highly celebrated trophies that you can win particularly in england Um, And Burt's going to be the first ever German to play in the final. Now they're facing Newcastle and Newcastle were a strong side who'd won a lot sort of in years building up to that and Manchester City lost that game 3-1. There was some nerves and also they went down to 10 men due to an injury because back in those days, as you might know Ian, there was no substitutes for injured players. So Manchester City lost a player to injury, had 10 men and... Yeah, Bird ends up receiving a runners-up medal, but it's not long before he gets another chance because in 1956, just 12 months later, Manchester City once again reached the FA Cup final, and this time they're going to be facing Birmingham City. And this is the game that I really, you know, want want to focus on because it's it's just an incredible story. Now, but be- before you do,
0: Matt, can we just say what an achievement that is to have made the FA Cup final? Two consecutive years. Even the greatest clubs struggle to do that. the The FA Cup obviously has been diminished in recent years, but it is the world's greatest cup competition. Any local FA registered team can join in the FA Cup. Over a thousand teams enter the FA Cup per year. That's an extraordinary achievement.
1: Yeah, to, to be there two the years FA in cup. a row is is two rare. years in a
0: row. And um, now, now he's become the second German.
1: Yeah. to be in the FA <laughs> exactly. exactly, Um and, and this time, he's actually coming in. Uh, another accolade he's just re- uh, received, he's actually won the Football Writers Award for the Footballer of the Year. Now, this is a great individual wow. achievement. You know, all of the football writers, all of the British press all get together and they all get a vote for who who's the best footballer they've seen that year. Now, That is still an achievement to this day, um, to receive this, uh, this individual award. But it is so rare to give it to a goalkeeper. You know, it's normally, as you said, a striker or a midfielder, somebody who gets the fans going that tends to win these awards, or, you know, some top goal scorer. For a goalkeeper to be winning it is really, really unusual. So it just goes to show you, bear in mind this is 1956, how far he's come, or how far... Um, he's been able to build relationships only six six years earlier seven years earlier he's been getting booed and 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 threatened and you know sections of the media have been against him and now they're voting for him as their footballer of the year Um, and he was the first ever goalkeeper to be commended in this way I mean as I say it's rare for goalkeepers to get it now but he's the first ever one so just goes to show you how good this guy is and Two days after picking up the award at the ceremony, he steps out onto the Wembley pitch for the match that's going to gain him worldwide acclaim. As I said, in 1955, nerves had, and injury had affected Manchester City. But this time, you know, it's their second time there, they're a lot more composed and a lot more confident, um, a lot calmer. So City score an early goal to take the lead, um, but Birmingham equalised shortly afterwards. And the match remains level until midway through the second half when Manchester City score two goals in two minutes to give them a 3-1 lead. There's not long left, so 20-odd minutes left, and Birmingham obviously are fighting back. And Burt's goal is just under increased pressure from the Birmingham forwards. In the 75th minute, Burt dived in an incoming ball and he collides with Birmingham City's uh, forward, a guy called Peter Murphy. And it's it's a really nasty collision, and and in this Murphy's knee connects and and really hits into Bert's neck, and it's a, it's a nasty impact. But in those days, as I've said, there are no substitutions allowed for injuries. So Bert decides to carry on, even though he's dazed and he's in pain. You know, he, he there's still fifteen minutes remaining in this game. He's the goalkeeper. He's an essential part of the team, and he decides to play on. He defends the goal. He actually goes on to make some crucial saves, particularly against Murphy again in the dying moments. And Manchester City hold on. Bert protects his goal, and they win the game 3-1. And Bert is absolutely seen as the hero of this game because of the series of saves that he's made to protect his goal in those closing minutes. And it's it's remarkable because of this injury that he's received. You know, this this impact on his neck and. After the match, he actually said that he he felt like he was in kind of kind of in a fog, and he's obviously in pain. And you know, you can see footage, and if you're interested, you can look it up. You know, every after every catch or every save he makes, he stands up and he's he's his, his head's at a funny angle and he's holding his neck. But you know, he'll dive around or he'll catch the ball, and then again he's sort of holding his neck and he looks really awkward and really uncomfortable just in his gait and how he's moving. I mean, to the point where it's it's worth mentioning, they've won the game. They go up to collect their winner's medal and Prince Philip's there handing these medals out. And, And Prince Philip actually comments on Bert Troutman's neck and its crooked state. Oh, thank God for that. I thought you were going to say he'd made some other comments, no, no. Uh, some horribly
0: racist comments. <laughs> Look, Thank goodness, <laughs> his comment was about concern. For yeah, the on this
1: occasion, player. he said the right the right thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it just gives you it gives you a sense. I mean, you know, you just would have. Wa- this is a dignitary who's just popping, handing out medals. But to to him, even just in those seconds, it, it was clear that there was something wrong with Trapman's neck. But Charman's not too worried. They have a, a banquet that night, sort of a post-match celebration, uh, and he he attends. I mean, he's unable to move his head, um, but he still goes, thinking, oh, it's it'll be okay." He, he actually went to bed, just expecting the injury to to heal with a bit of sleep and a bit of rest. But the next day, the p- pain's still there; uh, it hasn't receded. So he goes down to Saint George. Can we
0: just put this into a bit of context, Matt? Because you know, it's the 1950s. It was perfectly, like goalkeepers kind of go off like a car alarm in the middle of the night these days uh, if you go <laughs> near them. Whereas back in the 50s, it was perfectly legal for players, even when the goalkeeper had full control of the ball in both arms, you could run up to them as a striker and try to charge them. you could Charge barge them and shove them, them and barge them into the goal. A- and yeah, try and, try and knock them, the so. ball out of their hands. Mm. Um, even when they had complete control of the ball. So you're talking about, um, I suppose, when we watch football in modern era, there's no appreciation that anything s- close to that would end up in a, a caution or a red card. Whereas back then, um, this was kind of par for the course, wasn't it? And and so probably for, from Bert Troutman's point of view, he's probably had a lot of knocks like this. Oh, like yeah, a definitely. A lot of awkward barges and people charging into him and a lot of you know pain and whiplash so it's probably is and and obviously the elation and joy of winning the fa cup yeah exactly i mean he probably puts away a lot of the pain
1: yeah exactly but but to be honest he did the next day he did go to st george's hospital but they said you've just got a crink in your neck it's gonna go away so he you know he did get medical advice and he was sort of given short shrift and, and dismissed really but Three days later, he's still in a lot of pain. So he decides to go and get a second opinion from a doctor in the Manchester Royal Infirmary. And uh, he gets an x-ray. And the x-ray reveals he's dislocated five vertebrae. Um, wow. And the second of which is, is cracked in two. And the third vertebra is wedged against the second. So, I mean, any further damage that probably would have cost him his life. I mean the guy's got a broken neck in in two places and Goodness. well dislocated and broken neck and he's played on in a football match it's it's absolutely crazy uh, that that this could happen you know he he could have been killed at any point during that game you know as i said he's he's got a broken neck from the from the impact from murphy but within 15 minutes he's there doing it again and, you know, it's just so fortunate and so lucky that, you know, one of those um, collisions and saves and challenges didn't go wrong. And it could, you know, it could, it could have absolutely killed him. Um, it's, it's terrifying, really.
0: So he's basically played the last 15 minutes of an FA Cup final with a wobbly head and... He could have he's like a hair's breadth away from, from dying. Being,
1: from dying, exactly. It's it's or
0: mad. or being paralyzed or something yeah. horrific to his central nervous system. It's that it's is mad. That is crazy considering one of the modern Manchester City players got upset because he didn't get a birthday cake.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I, yeah. Mean, <laughs> I mean it's a d- different world, isn't it? Different era altogether.
0: Um What what a incredible like the fortitude of the man. Like you know, everything you've explained about him kind of explains why he's the type of man who with a broken neck would just carry on. Just keeps going, you just know, keeps going. He's been through so much adversity, and sure enough he did uh, you know, uh fly planes for the wrong side. But you can't do anything but admire this man and it you know strikes me that you know there's been some um, players and coaches over the years you know who maybe didn't win a lot in the game, and you know the phrase comes about you know that players certainly senior players who are well decorated in a sport they say to junior players will show me your medals, and if Bear Troutman. If you sat next to him and you said, "Show me your medals," and he got out an Iron Cross and five Luftwaffe medals, you go, "All right,
1: mate, you win." <laughs> yeah. Well, he's uh, no, he's. I mean, he's 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 certainly well. Dec- well, look, he's decorated in the football sense for sure, but it's not just that. You know, he's obviously he's uh, he's got the Iron Cross as I mentioned at the at the start. But in 1997, Troutman actually received the Order of Merit of the the Federal Republic of Germany. But he's also in. 2004 appointed an honorary obe for his work in the anglo-german relations so this guy is you know quite probably the only person to received an obe and an iron cross but yeah it's it just goes to show like you know it's it's that theme you know he's he's received abuse because of his you know basically where he was born you know he was born in germany so he fought for the germans I, I i don't think it was a case of you know particularly making choices um it's it's what happened but he you know once the war was over he really wanted to just get on with his life and be a footballer and through his performances and through just doing a good job and you know obviously this remarkable uh, event where he's played on with a broken neck you know, I think that inspired a lot of British people and made them realize, like, this guy's actually—he's quite inspirational and he's quite a cool dude. You know, we don't need to be saying these awful things to him. So, it's—it's it's, it, to me that's—that's, uh, that's, I guess, his real legacy: the fact that he was able to really help rebuild those British-German relations um, after the after the war. And, and on, the, on the football field, as I said, he's—he's recognised as sort of one of the the, the greatest goalkeepers of his generation of his era and um you know a lot of the the goalkeepers that would have followed in the 70s and 80s you know talk about him as being their hero a litany of them and he really did inspire a lot of the the talent that that played in england you know the english teams of the of the 60s and 70s and 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 sort of beyond you know they they'd look up to him as their hero which uh, which again i think is is really really cool
0: it is remarkable and i think um it's a cliche to say football makes a difference beyond football, but clearly here it is a case that he actually affected culture and politics and, you know, a a country recovering from war in Germany and England and the UK and brought them together through football and acceptance and putting a human face on it. And, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing. I think also that, sometimes we forget how good players are in their era. So he played in the 1950s, and I think sometimes modern fans think, well, he would never get into the Manchester City team now. Mm. But I would disagree because I think he would not only get into the Manchester City team because of his prowess in goal, but he could also fly the planes for Etihad. Brilliant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) he was he was a he played for the Manchester City for for 15 years 545 appearances um his his career ended in 1964 uh with a testimonial in front of a crowd uh that was estimated to number about 60,000 people um and he captained a combined Manchester City and Manchester United 11 uh Bobby Charlton, Dennis Law played Tom Finney, Stanley Matthews, Jimmy Armfield, uh Robbie Clayton. Yeah, it was you know, he was he was up there as one of the greats, and um, you know, it, I think you you, you don't win uh, an FA Cup or get to two finals and become footballer right as a footballer of the year by the football writers. You know, if you're if you're not special, because it's it's unusual now. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to win. So, yeah, absolute star, one of a kind. That is that is
0: a banging story, Matt? Well played, Bert Troutman. What a legend. Uh, we'll see you uh, next time for another great episode thanks very much
1: thanks Matt cheers mate (laughs) what a conclusion I can't say it often enough the way I was treated from being a POW via St. Helen's Town via
0: Mancunians via people of Great Britain
1: I'm more English than yes, even
0: though I was born German